2: Show me you want to be here, show me you want to win, show me you want to, you have that killer instinct.
1: I do look at myself as being one of the most dominant fighters in MMA history. He didn't know it was going to be a buffet though, he thought it was going to be a three-piece. Now you're getting the whole MGM Grand Buffet to the face, man.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the RJ Ringside Podcast, brought to you by BetOnline.ag. I'm your host, Heidi Fang, and today we have both our boxing writer, Sam Gordon, joining the show, as well as our MMA writer, Adam Hill. We're going to break down all things happening on Fight Island, as well as discussing the return of boxing here in Las Vegas, which so far, Sam, I understand you haven't even been able to actually go to an event. What's been happening on the boxing front, man?
1: Um, hey, Heidi, thank you for having me again. It's good to be back. Um, not you know not much. Uh, I mean, there's so as we know, there's the bubble set up at MGM Grand uh, where they're able to have cards twice a week. Um, solid cards, for the most part, not anything revolutionary or spectacular, but solid cards that you can bank on twice a week. And there are very, very, very strict protocols uh, on on who gets allowed in and, and testing and all those things. And so far up to this point, um, I have not been able to cover an event. everything's been remote um, it, but it's still nonetheless it's it's nice to have boxing back. I am eager to cover a live sporting event. It's been you know several months since I've been able to do that. but um, the what top rank has established at MGM is is kind of serving as a blueprint for some of the other promotions that are starting to get back on track now. so it's been um, it's been fun to have boxing back and it's you know even more exciting that it's right here in our backyard.
2: Yeah, I'm. I've been watching a lot of the a lot of the fight cards mostly because, and I'm. I don't usually watch a whole lot of boxing outside of the major pay per views. But um, you know, there's not a whole lot going on as you mentioned. So we've been seeing these. It's an age old question. So I'm not asking you to fix boxing right here, but why can they not get like competitive matchups for some of their stars? Every every line is like over minus a thousand. So if you're having fights where you're trying to have like you know you're trying to build stars you're trying to build uh you know some future contenders that sort of thing like how much interest can you generate when somebody is like more than 10 to 1 to win the fight
1: yeah that's a great question and I think that's I mean you just hit on it right there right that's that's part of why some of the why the sport has you know I think she's struggled um in, in relative to the mainstream the last you know couple decades I would say is because there's no mandate that the best fighters have to fight anybody close to their level like that there's there's no requirements it doesn't have to happen you can duck and dodge and do whatever as long as you want to and even on the you know on some of these cards right like there have been stars you've had you've seen a Shakur Stevenson somebody of that caliber but it, you know he walked through his opponent in and, and any, and any of the other big names on these top rank cards haven't necessarily had anybody competitive either it's it, it, mainly because, I mean, you don't have to, you don't need to. And and, and what these, what these cards have done um, while they featured a couple of stars, I think the merit in them is they've been able to introduce some, some up and comers or some people that some relative unknowns um, tried, tr- they're getting their name out there. They're circulating them and they're having these opportunities to fight on these cards that are getting, you know, that's the, the ratings aren't crazy as we know, but there is some viewership there because there's nothing else on. But um, until there's some type of mandate. I think that's what the UFC, you know, that's that's why it's able to take it, you know, has surged ahead in popularity, right? Is because you have one governing body. The best fighters fight the best fighters. It's all regulated. It's all in-house and things of that nature. And with so many different promotions and things like that, uh, with, with these top-ranked fighters, they're mostly fighting uh, relative unknowns because there's so many parameters you need to work out, and that's why the mega fights that we see, a Fury Wilder something like that, that's why they're so rare. It's be- because of all those parameters, and I just don't think you're going to necessarily see those um, anything like that throughout the rest of the summer with these top rank cards. Now that doesn't mean they're not entertaining and not fun, but they're, they're not going to be those those type of marquee events that we've become accustomed to seeing here in Las Vegas.
2: Well, Sam, you listed you listed a couple of reasons there that people will talk about all the time of why the UFC has succeeded. I think the one the biggest thing and, and I don't think it gets talked about enough. The biggest thing that I think the UFC did is it should have what it should have done it, they haven't learned the lesson clearly, it should have taught boxing promoters to not be so scared of a loss. Like they are terrified that one of their prospects is going to get beat, and all of a sudden you don't have that that O to promote anymore as you know being undefeated. And the UFC is like, no, if we have competitive fights, you're going to take losses. You could be a champion that's you know 14 and four, or 14 and five, because you know you rise up through the ranks and you're you're sharpening your skills against really competitive fighters the whole way. Boxing promoters are just terrified of their prospects taking a loss, like you know. The, the, no, no, no offense to uh, Mikhail Mayer, who fought the other night. Like I think she's incredibly talented, incredibly marketable. I don't think it's a big deal if she takes a loss, but they're just they're just going to keep throwing her in there. People have zero chance of beating her. What good does that do?
1: It absolutely nothing. I mean, you're not going to get the marquee kind of fights. You're not going to get the viewership you want. You're not going to get any of that. And and I, you know, I think. I think, I mean, I don't, I personally don't think there's anything wrong with the loss, right? Like, we, like, like you mentioned, some of the greatest champions, I mean, in, in combat sports, as you mentioned, UFC and boxing. How many times did Mackey, Manny Pacquiao lose? I mean, he has several losses. You go back to the, to the, the, eighties, you know, the four kings with Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran and Marvin Hagler and Tommy Hearns. Like, those guys had losses. Like, it's not, I don't think it's a huge deal. Like, when you're fighting the elite fighters, it's going to happen. And, and I think, like, not to say, like, uh, the, the, The reverence that came with Floyd Mayweather's unbeaten record uh, and the prestige that he was able to gain off of that and how he was able to promote that and use that and market that, I I think it's had kind of a trickle-down effect because, you know, before, as he emerged, I think that's where you kind of started to see that the fear of letting that O go uh, become more and more widespread. I mean, guys would fight in the 80s and 90s and of course we know they would fight before that so that, that's a that's a great point i mean what the ufc does is uh, there's an understanding people are going to lose it happens it's it's not the end of the world and, and you can have great rematches and trilogies and things of that nature when you have losses that are that are very marketable and fun and allow fans to kind of bind or, or develop a bond with with a fighter or with these two fighters and things like that. And you just, it's not as frequent in boxing anymore. And I hope we, we can get that back. Uh, that's, uh, what we had here in February, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, where you had two unbeaten heavyweights. I, th- I think that's what made that so kind of unprecedented in today's day and age is that these guys for the second time, I mean, they'd already, both of them had already fought December, 20, 2018. They were willing to let that all go. And for the second time you have these juggernauts in the division willing to do that. I think it's a good model for, for the rest of the sport. I just don't know if they're going to follow suit.
0: So, Sam, we touched this there on Michaela Mayer, and something I wanted to get more information on was her positive COVID test that it came back and she got an email from her physician stating, you're not sick, you're not infectious, um, you're... Test is a perfect example of why athletic commissions need to change their testing process. So, you know, can you give us some more details on what happened with that and how her test, even though I think she did come back with a, a positive, um, quickly, I guess, became negative and, and the fact that she wasn't contagious? What, what information do you have about her test and what she hopes to change with testing procedures?
1: Yeah, well, for her, it was, it was the antibody test that, that was positive. And, and at the beginning of the when, – when Top Rank was establishing this whole thing and when everything was getting figured out, it's been a lot of learn-as-you-go, right? Like, we know that there's, it's not going to be perfect, and, and, and as we're learning more about this virus, which is happening seemingly every single day, and the restrictions and things like that and what can be done to prevent it and all that – I think we were just a little bit in the dark at that at that point in time, and and that that was a positive antibody test, meaning okay, she developed some antibodies uh, to fight against the virus, but she wasn't contagious, symptomatic, or didn't even necessarily have it at that time. So um, it was it was it was fortunately for her, they were able to kind of resolve that and, and get her back in the ring um, only a few weeks later. Uh, but I think you're going to see that more and more. As we're going to learn more as we go along. And um, the, the top rank has had this fair share of positive tests. I mean, managers, trainers, fighters, they've, they've scratched a couple main events. They scratched the main event the day of, uh, things like that. It's all about adaptability and being willing to learn and fix problems as they go along. And I think that's what you're, you're going to see happening. And I think her case is a prime example of, of what we need to learn and how testing procedures need to be shored up um, as we move forward.
0: Great stuff. Is there any more information that you might have on how this bubble has worked with top rank? I mean, I know you can't be in the area, you know, where they're where they're at in MGM or anything. But have you heard like from any fighters or anyone else like just feedback on how this bubble is working and how effective they think it is now?
1: Okay. Yeah, I had a feature story in the Review Journal about the cut men, and they're 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 actually embedded for most of the week. Um, one of them is from the Bay Area. hasn't left the bubble at all and is pretty much in his room all the time. And the, the ESPN and the broadcast crews and, and people like that—they're they're embedded in this bubble and they don't really get to leave. And it's you know required an enormous amount of personal sacrifice from them. And that's one thing that um, you know the top ranked personnel have spoken to me about how grateful they are and how you know they're. they're just the, the lengths of this endeavor and, and the, the kind of commitment is required from so many different parties. I, I think from a fighter perspective, they're only in town for a few days. You get in, you test, you quarantine, you do your weigh-ins, you test again the day of the fight, uh, and, then it, and then you're good to go, and then you're out of here after fight night. So it's getting them in and out as efficiently as possible. They want as few people in the bubble as possible, and when there is a positive test, that person's out of there immediately. I mean, they have special security, special protocols, uh, people, a system, a communication system for, for all those people who are tasked with getting a, a, an infected person out of there. And what that's done is it, it is reduced. reduce the risk of the virus spreading um, throughout the bubble. So while you have had positive tests, and and they they look the folks at the top rank know this was going to happen there are going to be positive tests, we're going to see it in other sports as well as they resume I mean it's just, that's what it is right now, we're in a pandemic society, but the way that they're able to uh, operate in spite of those tests and be efficient and be able to stage these fights, fighters are getting paid promoters are getting paid, trainers are getting paid everybody has work, Uh, I think it's been an ideal scenario thus far for all those involved.
0: Great stuff, Sam. I appreciate you coming on. It's been way overdue, my man, way overdue. We have to make sure that we bring you back more often here on the RJ Ringside and get Larry in here, too, our producer. But he's going to have um, all the fun work of putting this all together. And right now what we're going to do is go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about UFC's Fight Island and their upcoming fight for the flyweight title between Joseph Benavides and Davison and Figueroa. So stay tuned right here on the RJ Ringside Podcast. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. BetOnline has live Daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, Stock Prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Hey everyone, welcome back to the RJ Ringside Podcast. It's Heidi Fang and I'm joined with our boxing writer Sam Gordon and our MMA writer Adam Hill, and we're going to get into UFC's Fight Island right now. First, we have to talk about what's been happening over there in Abu Dhabi. They've created a bubble of their own. Adam, it seems to be a very effective bubble. Like I've heard guys saying that they've had upwards of five tests before Fight Day. So uh, what can you break down for us uh, about what you've maybe heard from other media that are out there, from fighters that are out there, about how effective the UFC bubble is?
2: Well, I think the UFC has gotten better every time. I think that's one of the, the hallmarks of what the UFC has done, and I, I think it's it's kind of about being pushed in that direction. I mean, I was in Florida, and the UFC had protocols in place, uh, but they didn't really follow them very closely. And I think we saw some of that on social media. We saw photos of people violating some of those protocols, and we're like, what is going on there? And it's because the Florida Athletic Commission was very lax. Uh, then they come to Nevada, and you know, you've been around there. I've been around there you know, for five events. And it was much more stringent uh, in Nevada. I think that's because the Nevada Athletic Commission uh, made sure uh, to say, hey, listen, uh, we saw what you did in Florida. It wasn't it wasn't up to par. It wasn't what you said you were going to do. And you need to actually make sure that those things are in place. Uh, So it got better. And then now you've got uh, a situation in Abu Dhabi at Yaz Island, which they don't really have much choice. I mean, this is uh, a safe zone. Like a completely safe area uh, of the you know of the region where they you know they call it the call it the fight island where it's not technically an island I think it's more a peninsula and it's man made but essentially they're flying people in from all over the world testing them before they get on the plane they get on the plane they go there and then there's like police barricades blocking off that area so like nobody can go in or out there's really no breaking of protocol so it's pretty strong over there and that's kind of what uh, you can have happen when you have you know the government of of Abu Dhabi fund the entire project and, you know, pay for this all to happen. And it's easy to kind of put those protocols in place when you don't have to fund them. That's one of the big hindrances for sports to say, hey, we'd like to put all these things in place. It's impossible. We can't, you know, you can't, you'd lose money doing that. So uh, it's tough. So the UFC has, you know, has I think done better every single event. They're being helped out in this one uh, by the overseers and by the regulators. And uh, they just keep kind of putting that together. And they've also got the benefit uh, as we've discussed, of not having a union to deal with. Like the NFL is having trouble coming up with protocols right now because the NFL said, here's our protocols, and the players' union said, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, same thing happened in baseball. There was a long negotiation. NHL. Like people thought the NHL was ready to come back, you know, two months ago when they made the announcement of how return to play was going to happen, but they never agreed on the protocols until like two weeks ago. So like these these unions have been very strong in you know, insisting on proper protocols and that UFC doesn't have to deal with that.
0: Sam, is there any part of you that's been looking at what the UFC's been doing and how they've been bringing in the media and having them set up and wear the mask and go through all these testing procedures and you're like, man, why can't top rank do the same thing or why can't this happen inside the MGM bubble yet? Is it like kind of what Adam's saying that there's all these different policies and procedures from other entities that might be interfering with that?
1: Uh, I, th- I think they just kind of wanted to figure out the process. I, w- I was told when this when this started, when they were the boxing card started, that media would come in once they started doing title fights. Uh, they, Jamel Herring was actually supposed to fight defend his WBO title uh, two days ago, but tested positive. He's tested positive twice. He's yielded two positive tests. and That's the reason why he's been pulled from the card. So there has been a couple title fights. I think it's not. I think eventually I'll get in there, um, but they just want to make sure it's it's a fight that's worth you know worth adding risk of. Bring media in, bringing people outside in. And uh, I just don't think we're bit, we've been at that point yet. But I expect to be in the bubble at some point in time.
0: So, Adam – This weekend, coming up at Fight Island, Joseph Benavides, Davis and Figueroa for the UFC's flyweight belt. Uh, It's vacant right now, as we know, so what do you think about Joseph Benavides and getting another title opportunity? There's people that have literally asked asked me, this guy's getting another title shot? I was like, but here's the thing, he is that good. He's earned his way up to these shots, so uh, let's talk about this title shot and, you know, the two guys involved in this fight.
2: I mean, it's I feel like the flyweight title is just kind of, I don't want to say jinxed, but there's just something like somebody doesn't want the flyweight division to be around. Uh, they wanted to get rid of it. Then Henry Cejudo took the title and kind of did big things with it and then moved on from the division and then it's vacant and then they try to have a fight. There's some postponements, some cancellations. You think all the way back to when they created this title, they tried to have a tournament and then there was a draw in the tournament. Like that's how far back this, you know, kind of jinxed 125 pound belt uh, goes And, you know, you're right about Joseph Benavidez. You can complain about him getting title shots, but nobody beats him except in title fights. If you go back to, you know, all the way back to when the flyweight division was created, when they had that tournament, which he was a part of, you know, he lost to Demetrius Johnson, longtime champion, uh, wins a bunch of fights. There's no choice but to put him in a title fight. He fights Demetrius Johnson again, loses again in that fight. So two losses to Demetrius Johnson, no shame in that. But then they, they, you know, they turn him loose again and he beats everyone. So he's right back in the mix. He did have a loss uh, to Sergio Pettis along the way, a very, very controversial split decision uh, loss to Sergio Pettis. But then he'd won every other fight. So then all of a sudden he's back in the title picture after it's a vacant belt. And then Figueiredo tries to beat him and tries to take the title, but you know he can't because he missed weight in the fight. So he's not eligible to win the title. Uh, It's just a a long journey for this belt. You would hope somebody finally is able to capture it this week. Joseph Benavidez is kind of known as that guy right now who might be the most successful UFC fighter without ever having won a title. Uh, he's got to be in that conversation, in that mix, and he's got a chance to change that. It's really the last thing he has left to accomplish uh, in his UFC career. And if he could put the belt around his waist on Saturday, or I guess Sunday, in Abu Dhabi, uh, then you know that will be the, kind of the crowning achievement for him. But he's a guy, you know, obviously we people who have been around las vegas and been around joseph know a story just a, a great guy one of the nicer people you're going to meet has interests outside the cage as well uh, with some of the fashion blogging and stuff like that, that and he dog does. shows uh yes dog shows <laughs> for sure just a good dude and yeah, i think that you know it's one of those things like nobody's supposed to be rooting for anybody i think a lot of people in the mma world are rooting for joseph benavidez to win a title finally but listen you also want to see him earn it and if he beats figato he'll have earned it. That's a, that's a tough fight.
0: It's also like you know Michael Bisping for a very long time had been a perennial contender but couldn't win in when it came down to the big dance. Except, I don't think a lot of people were rooting for Michael Bisping as they are for Joseph Benavidez. So in the co-main event, we have Jack Hermanson, Calvin Gastelum. Uh, Calvin Gastelum at middleweight. He's looking to climb those rankings with the win here. He's got seven wins by KO, four by submission. So when you look over how these two pair up I mean Hermanson he's non- another monster when it comes to finishing people he's got nine first round finishes uh how do you th- see this one panning out
2: yeah I think it's a this is a tough one to call you, I think you never really know uh which Gastelum you're gonna see yeah uh he's a guy that you know when he shows up and he's good he's really really good he's you know one of the best fighters in the world um it, it a, lot, a lot of it depends on his training camps so I'm a little concerned uh, that it's the weird kind of situation that it is for gasoline, but he's not fighting at 170, so uh, that's a benefit for him. Although he's even had trouble uh, making 185 in the past, so you know, we'll see. He looked very, very relaxed, very loose. I know he showed up uh, for media day wearing uh, a, an outfit that he was given by I think a prince. Uh, he was talking about that a little bit, so um, he he definitely seems to be kind of. Enjoying the you know the trip, the culture uh, in Abu Dhabi, and you'll know, see if that translates to a good performance. But it's one of those fights also that's basically a pick 'em, and you know when you see those fights, I think those are some of the most fun to watch because you just don't know how they're going to play out at all.
0: All right. Well, that'll do it for our preview here for that coming UFC Fight Night, UFC on ESPN 14 from Abu Dhabi, Saturday, July 18th, but Sunday in Abu Dhabi. So make sure to tune in on everything there with ESPN. Um, The Fight Night will start at 4 p.m. on local time here in Las Vegas. So everybody, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week. And Sam, are you still there? We have to get you on again. All right. We have to keep going with all the boxing updates. And we're going to also try to get Larry back in here, give us some fighter perspective after everything happens here on Saturday for our next weekly episode. But on Saturday, you can also catch up with our UFC recap. Adam and I will be doing that as well uh, to recap everything that happened on Saturday night's cards. So check everything out on ReviewJournal.com and in print as well. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. We'll be back next week.